speak to you this morning is technically two verses of Scripture, but we're going to be looking at the rest of this, and this is going to be an application of past two Lord's Days as we've been looking at Second Peter chapter 3. He is coming to a conclusion of this wonderful letter, what he's speaking, and really the whole drive and the point that he's, he's bringing out is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here we see, and we will be looking at verse, our focus will be verse 12 and 13 as you turn there, but I want to mention we're focusing on the looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Isn't this, is, is not this what we are anticipating? Is not this is what we are looking forward to? So before we look into this, let's bow, please bow with me in prayer. Let's seek our Lord's face within this hour as we call on Him and as we hear from heaven and His Word. I need God's help for this message. We all need God's help that we would be mindful in hearing His Word. And we need His Holy Spirit to help us. Amen. Our Father and our God, we now come to this time as we open up Your Word. We need Your blessed Holy Spirit's help. The the true teacher. Lord, I'm just a messenger, a servant of Yours to bring the meal to Your people. To pass it. You're the chef. You're the chief shepherd. So Lord, we praise You this morning. We thank You for Your Word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but Your Word will never pass away. We thank You, Father, for Your Word that is living. It's active. It's powerful. And You said it's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and to the joints of marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts. The discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You search the reins of our hearts, our motives. So Father, today we pray that as David prayed, Thousands of years ago, and this is our prayer this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. My strength, my strength, and my Redeemer. And we ask this for your honor and glory. And we ask this in the name that's above every name, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're looking at Second Peter chapter 3. And let me read it, verse 10 to 13. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? And then he says this, looking, this is still within the question that he's asking, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, 
and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Notice the question there. And then he drives it home and he says, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, the promise, What's the promise? The second coming of Jesus. His promise, look for new heavens. New heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now I want you to think of this. There's a great deal and a lot of events that's going to be taking place when Jesus Christ comes back. And I want to help us this morning as I was studying this by the help of God to look at these events that will take place from the Scriptures. And we need to see what events that will take place. And I wrote down seven this morning. So I don't have an outline, but we're going to go through these events. So my question is this, as we look at this, it's a very simple question. What does the Bible teach about the end of the age, the end of the world, in which we've been talking about? Well, it basically teaches that a new heavens, a new age is coming. And this is God's purpose of burning up and dissolving all that will pass away. What God is doing is orderly. What He's doing is restoring everything back to order and even better than the way it used to be. Only God can do this. And he's, going to, and, and, he, and he's going to fully accomplish this through Jesus Christ. And all this was set in motion is when Jesus Christ came into the world. Born in the manger. Lived 33 years and was nailed to a cross. And accomplished our redemption. But the redemption is mainly for the souls of men. But it was also ultimately for the glory of God. But it will involve a new heavens and a new earth and the redemption and the new creation of the earth. So we're going to see this. So the Bible says much about this. And it does teach that there will be one last final day in this world and when time will come to an end in this last and final day. The Bible, the Word of God, not stories, not Tim LaHaye, not left behind series and not we don't gather our theology from this nonsense we go to the word of god and that's what i want you to see today because i'm charged by the word of god to and i know i'm going to give an account one day that as the lord will look at me face to face did you preach the word did you preach my word did you give my word and paul told timothy i charge you before the living and dead, before Jesus Christ, before God and Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead. And then he says, preach the word. So I'm going to give you God's word. The Bible, the word of God tells us in detail, vivid detail, what events that will happen on that last and great eternal day when Jesus Christ comes back in power and great glory with all the holy angels. So according to the scriptures, not according to a preacher, but according to the scriptures, we do not know exactly when the end of the world will come, but we do know it will come. He says it very clearly here, the day of the Lord will come, but it's going to come as a thief in the night. So it comes unexpectedly. We do know that 
There are events that will happen. We may not know when He's coming, but we do know what's going to happen when He comes. Much is revealed in the Scriptures. So the day of the second coming of Jesus Christ is going to be a glorious day for God's people. It's, it's not going to be such a glorious day for those that do not know Jesus because they, the Scripture says they're going to try to find a place to hide in the rocks and hide from the face of the Lamb, of the one that's going to pour out His wrath upon them. But yet they will not repent. Sad to say. You can read that in Revelation. But it's exactly what it says. So the, the day of the second coming of Jesus Christ has many events. The end of the world actually. The end of the age. And let me say this. It, it may come within our lifetime. Wouldn't it be glorious to see this while we're living? It actually could. Even today it could happen. It's imminent. It could be tomorrow. Yet even if we are to die before this happens, it's still going to come. We will all be there at the judgment somewhere. God's people will not be at the great white throne judgment. There will be a judgment. We're going to look at that. There's one final judgment of the nations. Sheep on the right, goats on the left. We're going to see that. It's going to be a terrifying judgment. And we're going to be, God's people is going to be judged according to our, we're going to be judged according to our words. There's no condemnation to those that are in Jesus Christ. So we're going to be covered and safe from the wrath of God, right? But we're going to look at this and what the scriptures say about it. We will experience it and we will see it one way or another, alive or alive in eternity. So we will need to know exactly what the events that will take place at the second coming of Jesus Christ when He comes back. And I'm telling you, I pray that I've covered all of it. If I probably, I, would, I probably didn't because there's so much here. But I want to do my best by God's help to take you through a series of events that will take place according to the Word of God that is very vivid and very clear about what will happen when Jesus Christ comes back. The very first thing I see here when Jesus Christ comes back, this is number one. When Jesus Christ comes back, there will be a physical, um, I say physical because He's not going to be a, 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 a ghost. He's not going to be just a spirit. He, he, he comes back physically. A physical visible return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first event that comes back. He comes back physically in power and great glory. Jesus Christ will come back and all will see Him. Now, we've already looked at it, but go back with me very, very quickly. I don't believe we can get enough of this. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We've covered this several times, but First Thessalonians, as, you, as we do study through the end-time events, eschatology, the, the apostles drew their eschatology from the Old Testament prophets, and the apostle Paul lines up exactly where Peter, the apostle, lines up with as well. Notice what he says in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm just going to read it and listen very closely to what 
is said here. First Thessalonians chapter 5. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. The same thing Peter says. He's going to come suddenly, unexpectedly. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. They shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day, speaking of the day of the Lord, should overtake you as a thief. Now, he's encouraging God's people. This is not going to overcome um, God's overtake us, overtake God's people as a thief, because God's people will be watching and waiting and expecting, looking for, and hastening the coming day of God. This is the blessed hope here. Why? And he says, you are all sons of light, sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. That's very, very important, isn't it? For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and of love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are, are also are doing. <clears throat> That's very significant. Now, jump with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. He says more about this. In chapter 1, beginning with verse 3, in context all the way to verse 12, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly. Is your faith growing exceedingly? And the love of every one of you are all, all abounds toward each other. Does your love abound toward each other? That's practical holiness, folks. That's practical holiness, growing in faith exceedingly. Loving one another, abounding. That's what we are to do before Jesus Christ comes back. So that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for you for your patience and faith in all your persecutions, the early church was being very much persecuted, and tribulations that you endure. This was comforting to the, for the church that was undergoing persecution. Notice what he says in verse 5, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you also suffered. That's the reason they suffer. So that they may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. Wonderful thought, isn't it? And then it says this, and since Paul says this in verse 6, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with retribution those who trouble you. Notice that. It is a righteous thing that God does. When God pours out His wrath and His vengeance, it's righteousness. He's judging sin. God is a holy God. 
Verse 7, and to give you, now God's people, who are troubled, rest with us. You can rest in God, amen? You trust, rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels. He's talking about the second coming. And flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God. How many don't know God? There's a lot. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Two things that go together there. They do not know God and do not obey the gospel. The diametrically opposed to that is God's people. We know God and we obey God. They go together. Opposite of that, they do not know God, they do not obey God. Vengeance, wrath is poured out on them. These shall be punished. I don't see annihilation here. I don't see annihilation. I see punishment because God says it. I didn't say it. With everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He comes, His second coming. In that day, notice, is your translation, does it say capital D? A, capital D? Yes. In that day, the day of the Lord, to be glorified. God's going to be glorified. Jesus is going to be glorified in His saints. Isn't that wonderful? In His saints. And to be admired among all those who believe. Because our testimony among you was believed. And then He says this. Therefore we also pray always. For you that our God would count you worthy of, his, of this calling. That's a calling. And fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness and the work of faith with power. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. And you in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That is loaded up, isn't it? That's another sermon in a sermon. But it's talking about the day of God. That's talking about the coming day of the Lord. And then notice in vivid detail he speaks about that. And in Revelation 1.7, John the Apostle, as he saw the Lord Jesus Christ, and he fell forward and almost paralyzed. And like a dead man, he falls to his face and he says, Behold, he's coming with clouds. Every eye will see Him, even they who pierced Him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of Him, even so. Amen. Glorious, isn't it? And by the way, as I was looking at that, there was a reference. I found a reference that fits perfectly in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. You could turn there if you like. But I want you to see... That this is not just a normal cloud that Jesus comes back on. I've heard a lot of preachers say, He's going to come back. Could this be the cloud here? This is going to be a, 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 a cloud almost like of heaven. A cloud of heaven. Daniel 7, 13, 14. But it's more than just a cloud. We're talking about the Son of the living God. Jesus Himself coming back on this glorious cloud as He comes back. And all this is... Like I said, this is still under the category number one when he comes back physically 
He will be visible. People will see him. Every eye shall see him watching in the night. He says, I was watching, Daniel says, I was watching in the night visions. And behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. Isn't it amazing that Daniel saw this in the Spirit, almost like as John was on the Spirit on the Lord's Day. But Daniel sees the Lord Jesus Christ in a vision here. And he sees the second coming. And he says this, He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought Him near before me. Verse 14, Then to Him was given dominion and glory and and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed Just like Isaiah chapter 9 says, an everlasting kingdom, a government. The government shall be upon His shoulder. He will reign as King of kings, Lord of lords. Daniel sees this. Praise God. It's amazing how God just shows these prophets not only the first coming to anticipate His first coming, but the second coming as well. More about the second coming. And when Jesus comes back, the world will see Him. The world will see Him visibly and personal. The second great event is when Jesus Christ comes back in great power and glory, there will be a resurrection from the dead. You know, all this that is taking place reminds me when Christ died on the cross, and we will be coming to the Lord's table to remember His sufferings. But think of this, remember when He died... And the moment that he died, there were so many miracles that took place. God rent the veil in two. There was a great earthquake. There was darkness. There was conversion. There was this one miracle after an event, after events of miracles. God was doing this on purpose to show that this is his one and only son that came to die as the substitute, our substitute, as the Lamb of God. But there's going to be many events that's going to take place when Jesus Christ comes back in power and glory. The second one, like I said, there will be a resurrection from the dead. And, and also it does refer to when Jesus died, there was some that came up out of the dead. That some came out of the graves. Now the timing, you know, a lot of people get mixed up in the timing, but we know that it happened. According to the Apostle Paul in Acts 24, 15 and 16, listen to this. Acts 24. 15 and 16, I have hope in God. Paul the Apostle can say, this is his hope. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead. There will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. Because of that, he says in verse 16, this being so, this is the apostle speaking, how much more us, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. Paul strived to have a conscience clear, pure before God and men. Why? Because of the resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. Paul also wonderfully explains in detail 
and describes this resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Go with me to 1 Corinthians. This is the resurrection chapter, folks. So much is said about this, but you only hear, sometimes you only hear preachers preaching from this great chapter on Easter, but we, I, what, what, what about Christmas? <laughs> yes. What about talking about the second coming of Jesus? I'm just going to read a few, but we can't read the whole chapter. just don't have the time here, but chapter 15, look at verse 20. Look at what happens in verse 20. The last enemy is destroyed. Verse 20 to 28. But now Christ is risen from the dead. Aren't you glad He's risen from the dead? Saints, if He's not risen from the dead, everything that we are doing is in vain. Our faith is in vain. My preaching is in vain. People's preaching is in vain. Everything we do would be in vain. If Jesus is not risen from the dead, there would be no judgment. There would be no forgiveness of sins. Your faith and everything that you believe in Jesus and all that He did, if He did not rise again from the dead, would be serving a dead Christ, but He's a living Christ. He's risen from the dead. He has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Those that have died in the Lord. And notice what he says. And then he goes through a series here. It's beautiful. And since by man came death, by man, the capital M, that's Jesus, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one of his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward those who are in Christ at his coming. There it is. At His coming. He's talking about His second coming. Then comes the end. The consummation of all things. What's going to happen? When He delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, when He puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, He must reign till He has put all enemies under His feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. There's only one that can destroy death, right? Jesus, Jesus Christ, and He did. For He has put all things under His feet. But when He says all things are put under Him, it is evident that He who put all things under Him is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to Him, in submission, what He's talking about, then the Son Himself will also be subject to Him, talking about God the Father, who put all things under Him, that God may be all in all. That's glorious. Now jump with me to um, verse 35 to 58. That from verse 29 to 34, he basically talks about the effects of dying, of the dying, the resurrection. He talks about the, uh, the effects of it. But here, I'd like for us to look at the glorious body, what will take place all the way to the final victory. But someone will say, notice he gives a question, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Now what if, if we didn't have this book and this revelation, or somebody come to you and me and ask us that question, we, we would go, duh, I don't know. We don't. But because of the revelation and of the Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul, that, that he received it, he knew. It's amazing. Listen to what he says. He answers, foolish one. Foolish one. 
What you sow is not made alive unless it dies. Listen to that. It's got to die. What you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain. Perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body. He's the Creator. As He pleases, as God pleases. And to each seed its own body. Notice what he says. All flesh is not the same flesh, and there is one kind of flesh of men, other flesh of animals, other fish, and other uh, of birds. There's also celestial bodies, terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There's one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon. Now he's going to glory. He's talking about the glory of it. Now he's getting to something. He's going to eventually get to the glory of the resurrection. For one star differs from another star in glory. This is beautiful. What a revelation. What a revelation. See also the resurrection of the dead. So also the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. But it's raised in corruption. It's raised in incorruption. Isn't it amazing? The body is deteriorating. The body is going to the dirt. We are aged by sin. And if you notice, it's, it comes rapid. More rapid than it used to be. But it's rapid. It's sown in corruption. It will go into corruption. Verse 43, It is sown in dishonor, but is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, but is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body, it is raised in the spiritual body. There's a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-given spirit. It's powerful. <laughs> However, the, spirit, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of the dust. second man is the Lord from heaven. That's the incarnation. This is why Jesus came. To raise the sons of earth. To give the second birth like Wesley said. That's His purpose of coming. That's His purpose of dying. That's His purpose of redemption. And Jesus died in weakness. But His death was different than everyone else's death because He was the substitute perfect Lamb of God. He became a curse for us. He took the curse upon Himself on a cursed tree to reverse the curse. Paul says, as was the man of the dust, also also those who are made of dust. That's us. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. In other words, what he's saying is, in Jesus Christ, you will be raised one day. It doesn't matter if you ashes. A lot of times I think, how in the world is God going to raise all the ashes? He can do it. He made everything else. The substance of it. The sun, the moon, the stars, every grain of dust, every particle, all he has to do is speak to it, comes together. He can raise it. Easily. We think it's such a difficult thing because we're creatures of the dirt. We can't do anything because God is God. He speaks it. He can make things happen like that. 
the man of the dust, but the heavenly man. And he goes on as we all have born the image of the man of the dust. <laughs> Can we say amen to that? We have. We also also bear the image of the heavenly man. Bear his image. Now he comes to the final victory. Now this I say, brethren, that the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. And I love this transition here. He says, behold, behold, I tell you a mystery. Now he's talking about the, second res- the great resurrection when Jesus Christ comes back. We shall not all sleep. In other words, that word sleep means... You're just sleeping for now. They're, they're, they're down. To us, they're dead, and it, it seems like finality. But it's not finality, folks. There is a finality to death, but there is something else God is doing. There's going to be a resurrection. It's not final to God. But we all shall be changed. You hear that? In a moment? In the twinkling of an eye? Bat your eye. That's how quick God can do it. And it's going to happen, what? At the last trumpet. The last trumpet. Not the first trumpet, the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall uh, be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. And when this corruptible has put on incorruption... And this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that it is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. It swallows it up. Is this the blessed hope, folks? This is it. And then he quotes a wonderful, wonderful prophecy. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, hell, where's the grave? Where is your victory? Where is it? As God's people, we can say this no matter how many funerals we go to and we see people lie there. That they, if they died in the Lord, they're going to be raised up glorious one day because there will be a resurrection from the dead. The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. Listen to that. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not vain in the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, that's, that's our blessed hope, folks. Amen? And we can shout and praise God with, right with the Apostle Paul. There's going to be a resurrection from the dead. Now, the Apostle John saw a vision on this great resurrection morning. In Revelation chapter 20, jump to Revelation chapter 20. Once again, we see it. We're talking about the consummation, all that takes place in the events that Jesus Christ comes back in power and great glory. Again, each one of these verses are tremendous in scope. Verse 11 to 15, this is considered to be the great white throne judgment. Don't you notice the resurrection that takes place here? Then I saw a great white throne and Him who sat on it and whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. There was no found no place for them. No place they can hide from God. The wrath of the Lamb. 
And then he says, I saw the dead. Listen to that. Small and great. I want you to picture this. Standing before God and the books were opened and another book was opened and which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works and by the things which are written in the books. The sea gave up the dead. The sea of souls, folks, who were in it and death and Hades delivered up the dead were in them. This is the resurrection of the dead. And they were judged each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire, which this is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You notice the resurrection? John saw this long ago. The prophet Daniel was promised he would rise from the dead. And Daniel 12, 13 says, But you go your way till the end, for you shall rest and will arise your inheritance to your inheritance at the end of the days. I think about the patriarch Job. Job is one of the oldest Old Testament books. This patriarch, this godly man by the Holy Spirit of God, says this in Job chapter 19, 23 to 27. Listen to what he says. Oh, that my words were written. It was. God saw fit to that. Oh, that they were inscribed in the book. It was. It is. That they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead forever. Notice what he says here. Here's his blessed hope. And he says, God allowed him to see this way down the future. For I know that my Redeemer lives. This is way before Jesus came. The first time. But I know that my Redeemer lives. This is by the Holy Spirit. And he shall stand at that last day on the earth. And we know... That Jesus will stand on that day and the Mount of Olivet will split. It will be split. The mountains will crack. He sees this. God shows it to him. He shall stand at that last day on the earth. Last on the earth. And after, he said, after my skin is destroyed. He knows it's going to the dirt and it's going to be destroyed. And, and, and he's still dirt and he's still ashes, but he's still God's going to raise him up. This I know that in my flesh I shall see God. That is an immortal, incorruptible, glorified body, folks. In my flesh I shall see God whom I shall see for myself. And my eyes shall behold and not another. Isn't that beautiful? He says, personally I will see it, not another. I will see God for myself. And then he says, oh, my heart yearns within me. Isn't that great? Does your heart yearn within you to see Jesus face to face? It's going to happen. I like the sign. I, 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 I ride my milk truck back and forth on, in Villa Rica. I'm all over the countryside. And there's this one sign that's really good. Now, Scripture would be better, but I have to say, the question that they put up there was really good. And it says in large, bold letters, Are you preparing to meet Jesus? That's it. I said, that is good. People need to see that. Are you preparing to meet Jesus? Pray people see that. I thought about that. They put, need to put a seal on that. I said, it's going to happen. It's appointed for once man to die and after this to judgment. So the resurrection. It's going to happen. 
the final judgment of all mankind. Jesus Himself describes how He comes in power and glory and all the nations will be gathered together before His eternal throne and all of mankind will be separated either to eternal life or eternal punishment. Nothing in between. No purgatory. Don't see that in the Bible, folks. How do we, how do we know about this? We'll go to Matthew 25. Look at Matthew 25. The judgment of the nations. Judgment of the nations. Got to hurry up. Get through this. Notice what he says. This is very important. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, talking about His second coming, all the holy angels with Him, and He will sit on the throne of His glory, and all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another, and as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And He will set... The sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. There's going to be a separation, folks, on that day. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then he says this, For I was hungry and you gave me food, and I was thirsty, you gave me drink, and I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me, and I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous. Now notice he first speaks to the righteous, the sheep. Will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty? Give you drink. When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer. The king will answer. And say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. My brethren, notice that. And then will he say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was a hungry, and you gave me no food, and I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not take me in. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. And then also, they also will answer him saying, Lord. Isn't it amazing? They say Lord to... They called him Lord. Lord, Lord, right? When did we see you hungry and thirsty and stranger and naked and sick or in prison did not min- and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them and say, And surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to the one of the least of these, you did it not to it. You did not do it unto me. And he knows he didn't say brethren there because they're not brethren. They're not born again. These are the lost. And they even call them Lord. A very sobering verse, and these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. That's, folks, that's, that's the dividing line. There's nothing in between that. Well, that's the resurrection. 2 Timothy 4.1 I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing and at His coming and His kingdom. Romans Romans 14. Go to Romans 14. This is all in the Bible, folks. This is all in the Bible. 
Notice Romans 14. Look at verse 7. And for none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Isn't that wonderful? Then he mentions about the death of Christ. And to this end, Christ died and rose in His resurrection, rose and lived again, that He might be Lord of both of the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Are you talking about misjudging our brother? Why do you show a contempt for your brother? And then He says this, For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore let us not judge one another any more, but rather resolve this, not to, be a put, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. And Jesus referred to that strictly. If you cause these little ones to stumble, it would be worse for you. As one casting away as a, 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 a great millstone to be drowned in the depths of the sea, it would be worse for you. And he's talking about everlasting punishment. We do not cause a brother to stumble. It's horrific. Well, the resurrection. Well, there's also a fourth event. And there will be a rapture on the saints. I want to just touch on this because my time is fleeting by so quickly. But there will be a rapture, folks, before the wrath of God finally falls. Because the wrath, the reason I say that is, if you look according to the Scriptures, the wrath of God is not being poured out on God's people. God will take His people away. Now, I'm not saying there's three comings. There's not. This is where people get confused with the rapture theory. There's a rapture theory that's taken place. Me and Brother Ben were talking about this the other day. There's not Jesus come. Okay, we know that Jesus came the first time, but there's not like a middle coming, and then He comes again. No, there's only two comings. And at His second coming, before the wrath comes down and falls in finality, in fire, God will take His people away. And that's the reason why Paul taught this in First um, Thessalonians, if you go to First Thessalonians, you see this. Now, a lot of people say, "Oh, this at the time they, where that people, God's people, get mixed up with this is the time period, the time period." Because here, notice, yes, in First Thessalonians five, we just looked at that. He talks about the day of the Lord. But he talks about the comfort of Christ is coming in 1 Thessalonians 4. And if you read through that, he talks about a plea for purity and a holy life. Then he talks about a brotherly and orderly life of loving one another. Then he talks about the Lord's going to come and those who die in the Lord. There's a great blessed hope that Jesus Christ will come and take us away before that final wrath is poured out. Notice what he says in verse 13, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, those who died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. We, we, we feel sorrowful when, when, 
when our own dies, and we should really feel sorrowful when those die without the Lord. But if you die in the Lord, we know that it's a sorrow, but not like without hope. Where there's a hope, because we're going to see Him again. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, that's, that's the gospel. Even so, God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we also, who, we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, by, will by no means precede those who are asleep. And then he says this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. And you tie that into the last trumpet, folks, okay? The dead in Christ will rise first. Here's the resurrection. And then, then we who are alive and remain shall be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. This is happening at the second coming. Don't get... People get so confused. Oh, for His first coming, then a, then a rapture, and then the second coming. No, this happens at the second coming. We could go on and about that and go into reasons why, but I'm not going to do that right now. But Jesus came the first time. He was made flesh in the Incarnation. This is a great mystery. 1 Timothy 3.16. That's an easy way to remember it. Isn't it? Like John 3.16. 1 Timothy 3.16. What does Paul say? There's, great, there's six lines that it was a church hymn. They sung this in the early church. What was it? They spoke about, Paul says, great is the mystery of godliness. And this was a song. They, I, I'd love to have a tune on this, wouldn't you? What was it? God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in the glory. See that? And that wouldn't that make a beautiful song? Well, that's what they sung. Like Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14 says, it's our blessed hope. Amen? Well, the next event is, Peter already spoke about this. I'm not going to go into detail because I already spoke it in detail, but the burning up of the planet Earth, and the Earth is going to be burned up. There will be a serious global warming, folks. You hear people talking about global warming? Yeah. Just tell them, there's going to be a serious global warming. Agree with them. God is going to warm up this earth, and I'm telling you, it's not the kind of warming they're thinking of. Yeah, all the snow and everything's going to melt, and it's going to be burned up. Matter of fact, if you look at it, the moon's not going to give its light. The sun's not going to give its light. Stars and the constellations are going to fall from the skies, and God is going, He is that fire, folks. Sometimes I think, maybe God's going to take fire from the sun and just take it through the oven. No, it's going to be God's fire. Why? It says it, Hebrews 12, 27-29. Now this yet once more in, di, uh, indicates the removal of all those things which are being shaken as things that are made and the things which are, cannot be shaken may remain. Notice what he says in verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. There's a reason for that. Verse 29. For our God is a consuming fire. 
Well, the next great event is the destruction of Satan. You see this in Matthew 25, 41 and 46. According to Matthew 25, 41 and 46, but God has prepared eternal hell for the devil and the fallen angels. That's, that's a fact. The final visions and revelations given to John in the book of Revelation, we see the casting of Satan in the lake of fire. Go with me to Revelation 20. I wish there's so many scriptures to this, but I only have time just to touch on a few. Revelation 20, I want you to see this. Look at verse 7. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. He will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, together to give together to battle whose number is the sand of the sea. This is incredible. Let me say right there. It's like after the thousand years, the millennium that takes place, God is... And it's amazing. Why, why people, people think, why is God doing this? He locks them up in chains and darkness, then He lets them out one more time. Yeah, I really believe... And I'm going, to, I'm going to suggest on this, but you could check me in Scripture, but God does this because God shows Satan, that fallen angel, that thinks he's so powerful that God had him on the leash the whole time that he's using him for God's glory. And the end of all things is God's glory. And he's going to, he's going to show Satan himself that God will be exalted above all. He lets him loose for one more time. And went up the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. And notice what it says. And fire came down from God out of the heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Satan is finished. He goes and he will be tormented day and night, tormented day and night forever and ever. That's another thing that's going to take place when Jesus Christ comes back. I don't know if you can wrap your mind about, around all this when Christ comes back. It's so glorious. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay, we must move on because my time is just about gone. The last thing, the seventh thing I see here is where Peter takes us as looking forward and hastening the day, the coming day of God. This particular event, this next one is great because this is the consummation of all things after the day of the Lord. This is the entering into the new Jerusalem. I say the new Jerusalem, in other words, the new heavens and the new earth. And this is God's goal, folks, through Jesus Christ to restore order to the world and the entire universe. Can you wrap your mind around that? That sin, the sin of man is so horrific in the eyes of God that it took, He spared not His Son? Think of that. He spared not His Son? To deal with sin? And to love us so, to bring us into His kingdom, to those who believe, to those who are appointed eternal life. And He's going to restore and God's going to reverse the curse and He does it all through His Son. 
He does it through humility. He does it through weakness. He does it through the death of the cross. He raised Him in power and glory. Now He's glorified at His right hand. Jesus Christ will come back in power and glory. And I'm telling you all He has to do. He speaks and it's like the sword coming out of His mouth and nations will be slaughtered. But he's, going, he's doing all this to restore things. He comes back as King of kings and Lord of lords. And notice the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city of God, the new heavens and the new earth that is promised. And this is what Jesus talked about in John 14. Go to John 14. This is a beloved verse to all God's people, isn't it? You know it very well. John chapter 14. i got to read it because Jesus is talking about His second coming. And in context of what he's talking about, notice, before all that, in chapter 13, he washes the disciples' feet. Jesus identifies him who betrays him, Judas. And then he gives a new commandment to love one another as I've loved you. And then Jesus predicts Peter's denial. And then Jesus, in all of this, notice what he says in chapter 13. <laughs> Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now. But you shall follow me afterwards. He's talking about to the heavenly glories of the heavenly city. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered, you will lay down your life for my sake. Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. We know what happened there. It happened. And then after that, then Jesus comes with a comfort. Isn't it beautiful the way the Lord... He tells them the truth that you're going to deny me. And then He says, let not your heart be troubled. And in that context, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. He's talking about this new Jerusalem, folks. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. He's preparing it. And if I go, isn't this what a bridegroom does for his bride? He prepares the place. He takes care of the bride. He loves the bride. This is what Jesus is doing for his church. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there, you may be also. And where I go... You know, and the way you know, and Thomas, oh, don't you love what Thomas asked him? Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? That's one of the greatest verses in the, in the Gospels right here. Jesus says it. Jesus said to him, I am the way. The truth, the truth, the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's powerful. I'll stop right there. Isn't that glorious? Now, we're looking forward and hastening the great day of God with expectation. The desire of the coming day of God. This is all going to take place. And by the way, all this wonderful theology that we're talking about today is not to satisfy our curiosity, but it motivates, to, it motivates us to live a holy and a godly life. To change us more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Go to Revelation 21. We're going to see this. 
This is glorious. Verse 1, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and for the first heaven and, new, and the first earth had passed away, just like it says it's going to pass away. Also there was no more sea, and then I, John, saw the holy city and the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people. God Himself will be with them, and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no, nor sorrow, nor crying. Don't you, don't you look for and hasten this day? There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. You can bank on it. And he said to me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. And he who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's a powerful verse to mention to our lost loved ones, isn't it? Well, the Lord is going to make sure all this takes place. There's so many prophecies I can go to, but we don't have time. Romans 8, Paul talks about the creation will be changed. It groans. Beloved, this is all done through Calvary's cross. And we come to now the Lord's Supper as we remember our Lord who became a curse for us on that cursed tree to accomplish redemption through His precious blood. But one day, all this is going to happen. A new world order is coming. Yeah, people talk about a new world order. Yeah, and what is coming, God's going to bring it down and he's going to, God's going to bring His new world order where righteousness dwells in all the earth. Jesus shall reign. Jesus shall reign. Amen. Amen. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank You for this moment, this time we have. Lord, it goes by so quick because there's so much in Your Word that says so much about Your glorious coming of Your Son. We anticipate. We hasten. Lord, we hasten that day. We, we eagerly desire to see this day to come. Lord, we pray, help us to have grace, be filled with Your Spirit day by day, to live a holy and a godly life, to point people to Jesus. And may we remember whom we represent, because Lord, we are weak, Lord, keep us in Your grace. We thank You, Lord, that we are in the Beloved. And by persevering, we show that we are truly in Your Beloved and endearing to the end. Thank You for all that You're going to do through Jesus Christ and what You already have done. So we look to the cross because this is where Your full glory and everything that You accomplish is on full display. All your attributes are seen in its fullness at the cross, at the cross, where we first saw the light.
So we praise You. We thank You. Lord, bless us as we partake during this communion time. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.